Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. Walmart Plus members save on meeting up with friends. Save on having them over for dinner with free delivery with no hidden fees or markups. That's groceries plus napkins plus that vegetable chopper to make things a bit easier. Plus, members save on gas to go meet them in their neck of the woods. Plus, when you're ready for the ultimate sign of friendship, start a show together with your included Paramount Plus subscription. Walmart Plus members save on this plus so much more. Start a 30-day free trial at walmartplus.com. Paramount Plus, a central plan only. Separate registration required. See Walmart Plus terms and conditions. You can support this podcast at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. Certified cat lady, Laura Bricker, have you been enjoying, along with your feline friends, Pretty Litter? I have been. Rocky and Felix and our often hiding cat, Zelda, um, actually really like it. And I have to say, it's awesome. My house doesn't smell like that dusty cat litter. And uh, they just had a vet checkup, and I was telling the vet, I think they're pretty healthy because the litter says nothing's wrong, even though they've been eating squirrels and chipmunks. And uh, (laughs) guess what? They were healthy. Yeah, because with pretty litter, you'll see it change color if there's too much acid in their urine or too much alkaline or there's some other health problem. Also, the bag is like a four-pound bag. Does that last a long time? It does. Um, You know, it's kind of surprising. I was a little skeptical when I first got it that this was actually going to last a month as it's supposed to. But, you, you know, you only have to scoop out, not to be graphic, but the poopy parts and the rest you stir up and leave it and it lasts for the whole month, which is awesome. So make the switch to Pretty Litter today by visiting prettylitter.com and use promo code CRIME for 20% off your first order. That's prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME, crime. for 20% off. Prettylitter.com, promo code CRIME. CRIME. Meow. I'm Rebecca Lavoy, and this is Crime Writers On, the podcast about true crime, pop culture, and this week we'll take the 420 to Murder Mountain. Oh, see what you did there. We'll break down and review the latest true crime documentary on Netflix and talk about one of the other hot releases of the holidays, the interactive Black Mirror story called Bandersnatch. Joining me to get that done and a whole lot more is my real-life husband and true crime co-author, former TV journalist, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Happy Hi. 2019. Yeah, no kidding. Happy New Year to you, too. And happy anniversary to boot. It was our anniversary. Oh, yeah. It was. We did nothing. Well, you can fill everyone in on the nothing we did in a second. Okay. Also with us is journalist, true crime author, former defense investigator, licensed private investigator, and our favorite certified cat lady, Laura Bricker. Happy New Year, Laura. Happy New Year. Also with us is our captain of woke cynicism, the author behind the noir novels known as the City Trilogy and our Patreon book club host, Toby Ball. Good evening, Toby. Ahoy there. He's a pirate. You said I was a captain. Uh (laughs) Well, we're just coming off a week off, which I think we forgot to tell our audience we were doing, by the way. Sorry, guys. <laughs> See if anybody came back. I'm curious what everybody's been up to. How was your holidays? And uh, did you make any New Year's resolutions? Kevin, 
How have you been? How have I? Well, Rebecca, you should know I've been here the whole time. <laughs> Waiting on me hand and foot. Yeah, no, we had our anniversary on the first, which was nice. Yes. We didn't, well, let's see. I really didn't think you were going to be able to get me a card or anything because of your broken leg. Yes. So when I went out to get a card for you, I bought a card from you to me. That's right. And I filled it out. <laughs> That's right. And uh, the inscription was really sweet, Rebecca. It was. Thank you. It was. Uh, I believe you said that I said that you rock my world. Yeah. Yeah. And it, how lucky you were to have I'm, me. I, you said that I said I am so lucky to have you. Yes. I know. That was really nice. It was Thanks. a very that sweet was really gesture. Thoughtful of you. Yeah. <laughs> and then because I wanted things to be good for Rebecca in her card, I gave her some scratch tickets. But there were ones that she already scratched and were winners. <laughs> so, nice. so she had all winners. That's right. That's right. All winners. Isn't it worse when you scratch a ticket good. and it's a loser? Do you know what I did for Kevin, guys? I went out and got him a card and a gift, like a regular person. With my broken leg, I went to a little boutique downtown and bought him a super nice little sweater vest. And I got him a card, like a regular goddamn person. Happy anniversary, Kevin. I gave you a check for $39.87. Wow. Wait, so which anniversary is this? Our it, ninth. It was our ninth wedding wow. anniversary. Is that the, that's, say, that's the, the leather uh, anniversary? Leather and, and like pottery. The pottery like anniversary, yeah. Uh, oh, okay. I yeah. thought it was a sweater vest anniversary based <laughs> on that. Well, I'm going to get you a coffee mug with all of our crime writers' names on it. It was the pottery anniversary. Ooh. In addition to the sweater vest, I got Kevin a little spray bottle of a product called Poopery to oh, use yes. in the pottery toilet bowl in which he takes nice. his ablutions. <laughs> I um I used that as a Yankee swap gift one year. I put that in the Yankee swap till at work. Yeah. I thought huh. it's going to come in handy. Along with some, I won't say. <laughs> some poo? I think I sent some <laughs> But you should oh. probably cut that part out. <laughs> oh. Got it. Got it. Laura, uh, what have you been up to during our break? Well, a whole lot of nothing, quite honestly. Um, I've been hanging around. I have been working on, for my New Year's resolutions, eating vegetables again. Because I realized I started off strong in the holiday season, and by the end, my diet was cheese, wine, and meat. Mm. So I tried a very unsuccessful recipe for some kale banana muffins, which I baked in my new Tupperware donut mold, because <laughs> I thought that would make it more fun, and they were still just disgusting. It's um, oh, like that also, party you bought them at. It was, no, that was a fun party. I had some fun friends there. And then my other thing I've been working on in the new year, I decided 2019 is the year that my cats are going to learn to do some tricks. Hmm. Um, Wait, so I've been uh. working on doing some tricks with Felix and Rocky because I've seen that video. Have you guys seen the video with the cats who ring the little dinner bell when they want a treat and they have little hats on? Nope. <laughs> okay. Well, I am aiming for that in 2019, and I'm well on my way. I almost had Felix jumping through a hoop the other day. That's not going to happen. It's, it, well, I just you know what? It's I not going to happen. It's going to happen because I went to this cat show at Bush Gardens last year, and I was like, "How do you train your cats?" And they were like, "If your cat is food motivated, you can train them." If you can do that, you can do a Facebook Live with your cats. <laughs> I will. Well, I will do that. So you just stay tuned. Felix and Rocky are going to be going on the road in 2019. Okay. Well, Toby, what bring have them you, to Podex. Toby, what have you been up to uh, since we last spoke? And uh, did, you, did you make any New Year's resolutions? So as far as New Year's resolutions, no. <laughs> and yeah, it's, it's pretty quiet. I went to, uh, we had Christmas. We went up to see my sister and her family and my parents up in Vermont. Yeah, I almost broke my leg Ooh. up there. Oh, no, can't have like, two of us. Trying to like 
we, we were going to go for a walk, and my sister was driving my nephew who had his window open, uh-huh. and I tried to throw a football through the window. Oh, like to be the cool? Open car to window. be like a cool uncle? Yeah. yeah. And it, yeah, it dropped a little short and hit the car and then rolled into this ditch. <laughs> so I went, and I went to, to go and grab it, so I kind of jumped into this ditch. Yeah. And it turned out that the ditch, which I thought was about three feet deep, was actually more like five and a half feet deep, but there was like a coating of ice over it. Like, I think if I just stepped down, I probably wouldn't have broken the ice. But because I had jumped down, I like broke right through the ice. and Into what? Into water? Into, yeah, water up to oh just my above God. my knee. And uh, it was Not Vermont it was ice is cold, Toby. That's oh. much it was, colder than New it was, Hampshire. It was ice. cold. Yeah, it was like in the. It was probably in the upper teens. Way to go, 20s. Marino. That would have been a really so stupid I, yeah. way to break your leg. <laughs> oh, says yeah. You. So I jumped back in the car <laughs> with my tail between my legs, so to speak, <laughs> and everybody else went on a walk. Mm. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing is though, you you could have also just broken your leg going on the walk, like I did, because that's that it happens too. <laughs> well, I probably was saved from that. And by the way, I saw I found yak tracks. Yes. Which I might suggest. Yes. People were suggesting that to me before I broke my leg. But I'm uh-huh. telling you, the way that I broke my leg was so boring that I swear to God, if I'd been wearing the yak tracks, the same exact thing would have happened. And I just want to thank all the listeners who've reached out to me with their own super boring broken leg stories. Like one of our listeners reached out to me and said, I broke my leg walking to my car in the Target parking lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's good to know I'm not alone in having the world's most boring story around the most traumatic injury of my yeah. entire life. You get so much nice attention. I think next month I'm going to break my leg. <laughs> I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. You know all the sex so you're not having some now. Some fine cigars. <laughs> all the sex I'm not having now. Just you wait. <laughs> we could bang casts together. Um, well, I have. I want to fill you guys in on what I've been doing um, since we last spoke. Two things. One is I finally read Rabia Chaudhary's book, A Non-Story, <laughs> which has nice. been sitting on my bedside table for like two years. She, she harassed you about it. She embarrassed you about it. Then she sent you an autographed copy. Yes. Months You're ago. You're even in the book. I know. You're even in Twice. the book. Twice. <laughs> which I've now discovered because I just read it. You also know you could have listened to the audio book. I wanted, uh, yeah. Oh, but, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just, I, wanted, I feel like I've listened to so much Undisclosed. This is one that I actually wanted oh, to read. Oh, you don't want to hear her voice. Tell yeah, us, I, I tell us about that. your appearances. I want to know what oh, you did nothing. In the book. There's just one. It, <laughs> she solved the murder. <laughs> that's right. I'm the one who found the facts cover sheet. No, uh, at one point she just mentions that she they brought me in to help produce the audio for Undisclosed. And at another point she thanks me in the thank yous. That's it. But it was enough for me. It was very exciting. Two more times than I got to mentioned. To be mentioned in a New York Times bestselling book. Thanks for nothing or shoddy. <laughs> But I have to say, you know, it's funny. I don't know if any of our listeners like kept up with the Anansi case. I just assume everybody has, but I know people haven't. It's a really good true crime book. And I actually think it should be in the genre of true crime books. It's written really, really well. It's Mm -hmm. super compelling. Her point of view is interesting. And there's a lot of stuff in there that even as the person who has listened to hundreds of hours of audio of them exhaustively going over all the stuff, I learned a whole bunch of stuff reading the book that I didn't know. Huh. Yeah, so anyway, I really recommend it if you haven't checked it out. Uh, Rabia Chaudhry's book, Adnan Story. It's very, very interesting. Um, and one other thing that I feel like I'm late to the party on, I should have talked about this when we did a recommendation show a few weeks back, is I have a new television obsession, which I don't want to like make you guys all have to watch it so we can read it on the show, so I'm just going to tell you. If you want to check out a great crime noir series, I cannot recommend enough the Swedish-Norwegian version of The Bridge. It's called Braun Brown, and it's on Hulu. 
Oh. It is crazy good. And I've become so obsessed with it. With my broken leg, Kevin knows all I do basically is lie around watching episodes of Braun Braun. Yeah, it's the oh. one TV show where you can't like play on your phone because you got to read yes. everything. And then when you come okay. home, I have to tell you about what happened on every episode, yes. which I'm sure you really enjoy. Every- <laughs> I'm going to watch it. I need Swedish. a new show. Yeah, no, it's, it's really good. I started season two because we, I felt like I'd already seen season one in other languages. It's just so freaking okay. great. Yeah. It's so great. The American-Mexican version and the English-French version are good, but this is The Scandinavian version is superior. Well, that's good to hear because I was totally traumatized by the original version of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh, I don't know if you guys ever watched that one. I was like, what? Oh my God. And then I saw like the American, and it was like much tamer, but like there was some scenes in that that I I don't think I've still recovered from. So um, am I going to have that kind of an issue if I watch this? (laughs) The Swedes don't fuck around. No. You know, it's it's, dark. Yeah. It's dark. It's definitely dark. It's challenging. They're not afraid of like killing a kid if they need to. They're not. Nope. They're not afraid okay. to just like kill people left and right. Yeah. Oh. They're not afraid to linger on the shot of the dead body. Yeah. But it's so good. It's so much. Or have better a long written. scene with some guy licking someone's. <laughs> Jesus, <Ew. Kevin. laughs> God, I might have to just go watch Outlander again. I don't know. I don't know if I'm up for this. <laughs> a lot of full frontal in the Swedish so, version yeah. of the bridge. They're like this was on network TV <laughs> in Sweden and uh, Denmark. It's so good. Okay, you you, right. you have to admit, admit it's good. I didn't even watch. No, it's very good. It's, it's super good. good. Anyway, I'm obsessed. I'm completely obsessed, and thus ends my mini review of Braun Braun, available on Hulu. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to write that down. All right, Kevin, can you please read this for me? True Crime Podcast Update. Now, I know nothing about this, Kevin, so you're just going to have to tell us about it. Um, There was a True Crime Podcast update this week that people who listen to a show called Up and Vanished may have read about. What happened? Uh, One of the accomplices in the alleged Tara Grinstead killing is as of this recording is on the run and wanted in a rape and kidnapping case. Wow. Separate from the the Tara case. This is Bo Dukes and you'll know that he was accused of helping his high school friend Ryan Duke dump and burn Tara's body in 2015. Hmm. Uh, and he was indicted in June on uh, charges of uh, concealing a death, tampering with evidence, hindering apprehension, that kind of stuff. So what had happened? Apparently, over New Year's, he's he's out on uh, bail, bail, or yeah, on his own recognizance, whatever. Uh, he's wanted for uh, rape and kidnapping. Uh, he's, they say that uh, he brought two women home and threatened them with physical violence and a gun, hmm. and he held them at the place uh, there and uh, and raped them. So police say right now uh, he's on the run. He's made suicidal threats. He's known to drink heavily and has a history of cocaine use. So uh, they are very concerned for um, his safety and the safety of the public. So again, that's Bo Dukes. And uh, he is uh, an accomplice in the uh, the Up and Vanish case. Hmm. And it's weird because the crime is completely unrelated yeah. to that, that murder case. But, you know, just some people when they get into trouble, they're always going to get into some trouble and some serious trouble. Huh. Thank you, Kevin. That's our true crime <laughs> podcast update. From a podcast that I didn't actually listen to. But anyway. <laughs> oh, we listened to it. I listened oh, to a few episodes. We listened to I enough. Think. We listened to yeah. enough. <laughs> All right. Cowboy cookies. (laughs) Well, moving on. uh, One of the things that I wanted to talk about was something really new that launched on Netflix during the break. No, I'm not talking about Bird Box. 
that uh, <laughs> Sandra Bullock blindfold movie that just seems like a ripoff of The Quiet Place, right? Sort of? I don't yeah. know. And I'm not talking about that. I'm, talking, I'm not watching it. I'm talking about uh, the new chapter in the popular anthology series Black Mirror. It's called Bandersnatch. And it does something no other TV show has attempted to do before. It lets the viewer choose their own adventure to influence the story. Keep having these vivid dreams, like thinking weird things. What sorts of things? We're going to be a hit factory, like Motel, but for computer games. You heard it here first. Bandersnatch. It's an adventure game based on the book. Jerome F. Davies was a genius. See that bloke who went cuckoo and cut his wife's head off? When it's a concert piece, a bit of madness is what you need. Now, Laura, I know you tried watching Bandersnatch and you encountered some technical issues. What happened? Yeah, so apparently it doesn't work on all devices. And I think that I'm not the only one. Well, I don't think. I know I'm not the only one who encountered this. So I I have Roku for when I watch like Netflix or Amazon Prime or whatever. And apparently my Roku was too old. So you have to have some little like star emblem in the top of the preview of the thing to know that you are compatible with this show. I didn't have that. So I was like, what the, you know, and and then I looked it up and I couldn't read it. So finally, I was able to watch some of it on my iPad after I updated. I'm like one of those awful people who doesn't update my iPad every time there's an update. So I can update my iPad and then I had the right compatibility. And then I was like, okay, I can watch, I can start watching this um, at the coffee shop while I was like, you know, making my son do homework. So I did finally get to watch some of it. I didn't watch all of it because it was kind of an ordeal to get it set up, which, you know, I guess maybe adds to the whole mystique of this um, Or it's just a barrier that makes it difficult to watch. It's it's basically a pain in the ass. Um, It's a pain in the ass. So I did manage to watch about a half an hour today that we can talk about. (laughs) Now, Toby, I'm curious to know what just you think. I mean, you're a novelist. I mean, you've plotted stories start to finish before what do you think of just the concept of writing a book or writing a tv series i mean obviously choose your own adventure books were around when we were kids and that was kind of a different it was kind of more of a game than mm-hmm. an actual book but what do you think of this idea of like involving the viewer in the telling of the story in the way they did with this bandersnatch thing do you think it's a good idea or do you think it's just gimmicky and should be left alone and left for kids choose your own adventure books uh i think it's both gimmicky and a good idea hmm. tell me more you know i I guess I wouldn't like it if everything was like that, but I don't see any reason not to have some things like that if people enjoy it. You know, I've never really thought about the possibility of like trying to write something like that, although I think that would probably be potentially kind of fun, like just to be able to spin off different riffs on a, on a, on one setup. I have to say, other than just hearing that name again and again and again, like I don't know the first thing about what it's about or anything other than that it's a choose-your-own-adventure. As long as things are done well, like having a variety of different experiments, I guess, in storytelling is is probably good. And as with podcasts and stuff, I think if people stay with it, it'll probably increase in quality. Yep. Uh, you might end up having some some really interesting stuff eventually. Now, Kevin, you watched Bandersnatch. Yeah. Uh, full disclosure, I bailed about 10 minutes in because I wanted to go to bed, uh, but I did hear some of it. <laughs> you were in the living room watching it. Uh, what is it about? Well, it's about this kid, Stefan Butler. It takes place in the 80s, and he's writing a computer game, which uh, has to do with basically... 
going through quarters and choosing your own path, right, mm. in this game. Different things happen, and, you know, it starts right away with he comes down for breakfast and asks, you know, well, what do you want for breakfast? And you'll see, and it's sort of, you know, a test for the the audience of how this works. It'll, the screen will come up, and it's like Frosted Flakes and Sweet Buns or whatever the hell, and you pick the one that you want. And the d- story goes in that direction. So there are small decisions that you make, like, you know, what music to buy, and then other ones about, okay, well, do you want to accept this job offer, or do you want to go here and follow this guy or, or you know, do something else. So it's basically, yeah, there's a couple, I, I know that there are basically five big storylines, there's mm-hmm. five endings, and you can get there from different ways. And, okay. you know, one, and I've, I, I was going down a couple different ones. I did get to the end one time. There's basically a, a storyline about his dead mom. Yeah, that, that yeah. was actually what I wanted to ask you about. Mm-hmm. Uh, without getting into too spoilery stuff or listeners who haven't watched it, it seemed like the show was really pushing you hard to choose one thing over another a couple of times. Like when you would, I, I this is right before I left, you made the decision like, I'm going to choose everything the opposite of what I think I'm supposed to do. And then there was one scene where like, he's talking to a therapist and she's like, yeah. do you want to talk about your mother? And you chose, nope. And she was like, are you sure you don't want to talk about your mother? And you were like, yeah. nope. And she was like, but are you really sure? Yeah. <laughs> I eventually had to say yes about well, that. And then when the character is going, I feel like somebody is controlling what I do. Yeah. I'm like, are you kidding me it right got super now? Meta, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole plot about, about sort of paranoia and being controlled. Yeah. Which, it, which, because it's meta in the way, because you are controlling this character. Right. And then there's another one, of, uh, uh, the theme is sort of about, you know, uh, choosing A or B and what the consequences of that are. And he's, he, the, the, the mother backstory is that when he was really little, he lost his, his stuffed animal, the bunny, and that made his mom late for the train and the train crashed. Yeah. So he's like, tormented by if he had made a different decision, his mother would still be alive. And so there's all these different things. You are making these same kind of choices. If you had gone left, this wouldn't have happened. If you pick the thing on the right, so it, it gets really meta in a couple of different ways. Like if I, I had turned that. left on that road, I wouldn't have broken my leg. Ex- yeah, we've exactly. talked about like eighteen yeah. times in the last three weeks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it, it it's it is gimmicky in the sense that like okay, you can go and pick this, and that you know, and that'll happen, and this that'll happen. But it also builds that theme into the actual story. Huh. Did you pick the Thompson Twins, though, Kevin? I did, because I didn't know the other band. <laughs> but I think, like, in the beginning, you know, some of those, while they may seem like minor decisions, I think as far as the um, the architecture of, like, the different story paths, like, that that could be, a, like, a really big diversion that takes you down in a completely, di- has nothing really to do with the music. It's just a point where, okay, now you're going to the other hemisphere here. Now, Laura, in your note to me, you, I think, had the same reaction to it that I did, I just, when I started watching it, like, I just didn't seem, it didn't seem a story I was interested in seeing play out. No, and you kind of had that stupid. same reaction, right? I just really didn't like it. I was I was like, I, I think it was geared towards a different audience than dudes? myself. Um, you mean dudes? Yeah. <laughs> People was, who like Black Mirror. I love Black Mirror. But this I just wasn't very, invested. Yeah, yeah. I just couldn't feel, like, connected to the characters. And I was like, I just felt like, okay, this is so stupid. Like, what cereal does he want? Like, okay, I get it. We're trying this whole thing. That's cool. But I, I really just couldn't get into it and I felt like I was definitely not the target audience. I think it's a cool idea. Yeah, people I do think with it's Roku really... are not the target audience. <laughs> Apparently Roku is outdated. 
even though I have like three Roku's in my house, I was like, God, I should go use my son's gaming system. That's probably compatible probably. Um, because that's probably the target audience for this. So I just I had a hard time sort of feeling like I wanted to keep seeing what was happening, except I was like, well, I see. Let's see what the next choice is that I can make. Yell at the dad or not yell at the dad. I don't know. Yell at the dad or, or throw tea on your computer. That was where I Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Throwing tea on the computer was the wrong choice. Oh, okay. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, okay. yeah, that's going to be Spoiler a lot alert. to rehab your keyboard. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Toby. I think this is it's a cool idea to do, and I think that like it's the first one, and they'll probably get cooler. But when I was sitting there with you, I kind of felt like it was one of those things where you were just setting up your home theater system and trying out your remote control to see what it could do. Uh-huh. Like, like choose left to make rain go in the left speaker. Choose right to make rain go in the right speaker. Well, it was it was cool to watch when you did make those selections. Like, the thing I was watching was, like, I was watching the screen very carefully to be like, how are they blending this so seamlessly as you're watching it to go to the choice that you made? Right. And that part, I thought, was well done because I didn't see any... It wasn't like... I didn't feel like there was, like, some sort of a blip or anything. I mean, it was definitely very smooth to watch. All right, Kevin, do you think people should check out Bandersnatch on Netflix based on your having watched the whole thing, unlike me and Lars, unqualified, bailing off your 10 minutes experience? Well, I can't say I've watched the whole thing because there's much more to it. Right. I'll say it this way. I've gone through, done it, got all the way to the end of a storyline. I want to go back and do some more. I want to do it again and explore it a couple of times like one would with a video game. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, I think it's worth trying. Uh, You know, just because it's a... Choose your own adventure and interactive. It's more than just that. I'd say get into the story. Black Mirror is always about sort of these, uh, you know, modern technology, Twilight Zone type short stories. And I think it fits well with that. So Mm. I'd say make it one of your New Year's resolutions to do it. Yep. Just like you should eat things that are healthy for New Year's. And that's where Daily Harvest comes from. Oh, that's true. That's true. It would be a very good resolution to start some Daily Harvest. Yeah, because a lot of New Year's resolutions don't stick. Right. But focusing on your health. Well, while it's not easy and not always fun, it can be delicious. And you get more vegetables in your diet, which Laura said she wants. Yeah, more fruits yes. and vegetables. Laura. They hide vegetables everywhere in those daily harvest things. I mean, like cauliflower in smoothies? Yes. Yeah, they actually have 50 ready-to-blend smoothies, a lot of uh, savory harvest bowls, soups and breakfast bowls. They're all from Daily Harvest. Each single-serving cup comes ready to blend or heat in just five minutes max. Five minutes and you're good. Add so water easy. or milk. You can make it a smoothie. Don't forget, you can also heat up those harvest bowls. Yep. They're great snacks. They're whole meals. Whatever you like. Great lunches for work. Yeah. <laughs> you can hog the microwave for just five minutes while you're making your daily harvest. Oh, and it's going to smell so good. People are going to be so That's jealous. Right. They'll be like, all I have is my leftover fish from last night. I'm going to oh, stick God. up the kitchen. What is that delicious oh, smelling thing you have? Oh, you no, no, fish. no, That's no. Wrong. You need Ugh. the fruits and vegetables from daily harvest. It's the easiest, fastest, most delicious way load up on all those good foods make a, a healthy eating habit stick go to daily-harvest.com and enter promo code crime, crime to get three cups free in your first box it's a good that's, deal yeah it's a great deal that's promo code crime, crime for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com daily-harvest.com that'd be a good anniversary gift from you to me give me some daily harvest <laughs> how about that it's damn romantic instead of just buying me a card from you to me to you how about getting me some daily harvest um, okay. All right, I'll take You that. could even lay down with a straw and drink your daily harvest <laughs> with uh, your foot up, Rebecca. It's true. And you won't even have to move. That's promo code CRIME, crime. for three free daily harvest cups at daily-harvest.com. daily 
Dashharvest.com. All right. Well, moving on, um, let's talk about Netflix's new documentary. Of course, that streaming service continues to churn out great true crime. The latest is Murder Mountain. The unsolved murder of a marijuana entrepreneur is woven into a look at California's Humboldt County, where pot is cultivated and people vanish without a trace. The Humboldt County Sheriff's Office is asking for the public to keep an eye out for a missing man. Another man is mysteriously disappeared somewhere. Humboldt County. You could just tell that there's something going on up here. There are flyers everywhere. I don't think they have the slightest clue on what goes on in this county. Trinity, Humboldt, Mendocino. This is the Emerald Triangle. This is not the hippie marijuana industry anymore. I've been shot at, beaten, kidnapped three times. No, son, don't get involved with that, please. Get the out as soon as humanly possible. You could end up dead in a ravine. In that area, we refer to it as Murder Mountain. Murder Mountain uses the tale of Garrett Rodriguez's disappearance to explain the region's hippie past, outlaw present, and uncertain future now that the state has legalized the recreational use of marijuana. We will be giving away major plot points to Murder Mountain, so if you want to remain spoiler-free, go to the time code listed in our show notes for our thumbs-up or thumbs-down review. So, Toby Ball, is Murder Mountain a story about a murder? or a mountain, or something else completely? I found myself asking this question over and over again while I was watching this documentary, and I'd love to know what you think. So I think it's, uh, for me at least, and, and one of the things I really liked about it is that it seemed as though it was part true crime, and I think it kind of built itself as true crime because true crime obviously is hot, uh, but it was also a documentary about a subculture, mm-hmm. which I love, I love those kinds of documentaries. And I thought they both, you know, sort of informed each other in a way that was really cool. You know, I think the 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 crime by itself, like outside of that context, is tragic and everything, but not like real interesting. And then I think, but it also I think the story about the subculture that develops in Southern Humboldt County, I think having that crime to sort of be the focus of their sort of cultural study or whatever. I thought was also pretty effective. So I thought they did it really well. I think it's also very lucky for them that the place where all this stuff happened was called Murder Mountain because this could have just been a documentary about a subculture and it still would have had a kick-ass title. Let's be real, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Now, Kevin, episode one of Murder Mountain uh, sets up the story for us. Humboldt County is a wild place where lots of young people go missing. Uh, It sort of sets it up initially with that nurse who is from Australia who comes to the town. We see her over and over again looking for her missing daughter, hanging those, you know, have you seen this girl posters. And there are lots of theories thrown out in the first episode about where all these young people have gone, why they've all gone missing. What do you think about that setup? It was intriguing because, yeah, I did want to kind of know, well, what's the deal here? And I I knew that we're talking about a place where there's a lot of marijuana cultivation, and the filmmakers were not really turning over many cards as to theories, as to, you know, not just this one person's disappearance, but all these other disappearances. I think it was good in the episode one, because by the time we got to episode three, that just would have been a waste. We would have kind of figured out by then. We would have had enough knowledge about what the place was. 
Um, but to set it up sort of like, oh, okay, well, what is this crazy place and why is this happening? And then you get to episode two and it's like wild, wild country. Mm. Um, and, you know, then there's another episode and it's it's like uh, it's like up and vanished. And then there's another episode. Well, not schizophrenic. I mean, I think there were a couple of different themes in some of these different episodes, uh, you, you know, which I think helped us understand a little better about what was going on. Now, Laura, one of the things that we see right away also is the sort of setup of what this place is about. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a wild place where there are a lot of people living off the legal grid for sure. And one mm-hmm. of the things that we see is lots of young people go to Humboldt County, often by bus or hitchhiking, thinking that they can make a quick buck. And of course, these young people are vulnerable. They, a lot of them do a lot of drugs. They're sort of mm-hmm. ripe for the picking of people who want to take advantage of them. And then we also see these farmers who like say that they treat their workers really well. And then you look and you see the workers are all living in like a storage room, like working 15 yeah. hours a day, trimming bud. What do you think of this place? You know, it's really, as I was watching this, uh, Ken and I watched this and I'm like, this is not the California that I know. It looks like part Appalachia, part war zone, part third world country. You know, you have people living in like, you know, plywood shacks and, and half the farms look like they're like kind of abandoned, but Mm. there's still people working there. And Everything just is in like disarray. Like, I mean, did you see like one farm that actually looked like it was like maintained? There wasn't a hot mess. It was just like, didn't look like it, like somebody's just living in like a one room shack somewhere. I mean, it was, it was really fascinating to me. Although, no, the hippie guys, I have to say, I really loved all the hippie guys um, that were still there, that had been there, that went out there to build their communes naked. Here's a photograph of... The communards building the Nonagon wearing nothing but nail belts, naked with the exception of our tools. Why were you guys naked? It's hard to answer your question why we were naked. First of all, it is our natural state after all. Uh, Secondly, um, this was the quintessential hippie life. Unfettered with a quality and quantity of freedom not experienced by a lot of people. Splinters, like what the, you know, like seriously, like I want more, like, okay, it's all great and all, but like, oh my goodness. You know, I love interesting characters and there was so many interesting characters in the show, right down to that guy that he should have appeared more than like twice. Um, it's just always like walking down the street with this giant oh. beer. Oh, oh, that guy. Okay. <laughs> I had this later in our conversation, but I will just set up this clip right now. 35 minutes into episode five of this documentary. If you do nothing else. Of, if, if you watch not even a minute of the rest of this show, go to the 30, 32-ish minute point so you can get the setup for the best piece of tape I have ever seen in a documentary. Fucking, he runs off down to the river, tears his clothes off, jumps in the river. They had the helicopters flying up there. That kid, though, he's from here. And the reason he stripped his clothes off, because he knows about that thermal shit. He coats himself in mud, fucking turns into a fucking Sasquatch and dips on him. It's his nature. Whatever. Now, 
<laughs> That's a great example, Laura, of one of the things that I wanted to talk about. Because, of course, that was hilarious in its own way. <laughs> Except yeah. that guy is an extreme example of a lot of the kinds of characters we see in this documentary. I don't think it's an extreme example. Well, he's, I don't know. He seems kind of part of the culture there. Part, well, part of me, of part like of me was like, I would watch anything that guy was in. He'd yeah. just be the main character in the whole thing. But then part of me is also like, he clearly has a lot of problems. He's obviously like... Uh, an alcoholic probably suffers from mental illness. Drinking a 40 in the middle of the a day. 40 of malt yeah. liquor in the middle of the day. But. <laughs> Can't draw conclusions. I mean, he maybe he's just an honest marijuana seller. There were a lot of characters in this documentary. Uh, the hippie guys aside, the awesome private eyes aside, there were a lot of characters who were sort of the the main subjects, people who were sort of giving us the background, giving us the narrative, who weren't exactly what I would call reliable, trustworthy, sympathetic narrators. I mean, I'm thinking about like the farmers who openly admit to like all their law breaking activities. I'm thinking about the uh, the the former political campaign worker guy from Utah who never shows his face except sometimes when he does. I love that guy. Oh, my God. Who buries his his money in the woods. Yeah. And, you know, there's also the (laughs) guy who's S-Town all of a sudden. Yeah. Yeah. It's very S-Town that the guy who's running his farm and thinking about becoming legal and talking about how professional he wants to be as we see him lighting up when he first rolls out of bed. Yeah. Toby, Toby, what did you think about sort of like the spectrum of characters here? Because certainly they're asking us to relate to and believe in and get the story from like these people who are kind of all over the map in terms of like where they are in the moment that they're being interviewed. I mean, there's a guy named Lion who's one of the narrators who's like barefoot and like in every scene that he's in. <laughs> Toby, what did you think? Like, I, I, I really like... I really liked the whole thing. And I thought one of the things that was interesting is that most of these people who you see, it's not completely true. I guess there's some people who seem basically pretty benevolent, but a lot of the people it's, it's, it's really a mixed bag. Like you get that one guy, the, the guy who, uh, you know, has, has grown like the award winning strains. And the first time you see him, he's like, basically not paying these workers who worked for him right. for you know months but then later you see him and he's like making jam with his kids right yeah. who gives um, out these awards by the way <laughs> i'd like to thank the academy yeah it's a it's, it's a big it's a big deal yeah. um so i thought that was really it's really good the only thing that i i was sort of critical there was it was a little hard for me to figure out like how these different groups kind of related to each other mm. sort of like you did have like these guys who are clearly sort of have it together professional <laughs> pot farmers right and then you have like the outlaw pot farmer and then you have the people who like clearly live on murder mountain where it's you know a small group of people who you know are pot farmers but also you know kind of live this outlaw lifestyle, you know, where justice is delivered uh, with a gun. And so it wasn't entirely clear to me how these different groups interact with each other. Like the Murder Mountain guys, you know, I, I just, I didn't get quite get a feeling about how they fit into the like weed economy the way that everybody else did. They seemed that, that they were mostly there for the the true crime aspect of things, mm. but you didn't really get a sense of how they fit into sort of the the larger world of, you know, pot growing culture in Humboldt County. Well, they had that scene, that one guy, the, the Murder Mountain guy with the mask. And I thought that was so fascinating. The scene where like that hotel. These two 
The guy in the blue, I think he's an East Coast pirate. Those two are tourists. <laughs> you can tell by the short shorts. This hotel especially, this was the central hub of all of the activity. This was every everything. I mean, four, five, six years ago, there were millions of dollars sitting behind each one of these doors. What did they say? Was there some statistic? It was like 75% of the black market weed in the country came from home, that county yeah, and, and like passed through that hotel. So that was an interesting way like in terms of like how they fit into the bigger culture. But that was that outlaw guy, right? I mean, that, yeah. was, that was the guy from yeah. Utah. Yes. Like he wasn't okay. part of the whole, like vigilante group, I don't think. No. He just had, yeah. he had no. a garden up there. Yeah. Yeah. But he was, I thought he was on the mountain, wasn't he? Part, he did no? have a garden he, up there, but he wasn't okay. one of the main Murder Mountain guys. You know, if okay. I were doing the title yeah. sequence, I would have done Murder Mountain, but like Murder Slash Mountain, because it really is two stories, and it's just great serendipity that the name of the place is Murder Mountain. It's about a murder, and it is about a mountain, and those are the two stories are running side by side, and so you've got the story about Garrett and his father and the Alder Point Eight, and that is interspersed with you know this history of and and present day look at the rough and tumble terrain of the marijuana business in this county. You know, when we talk about sort of that aspect of it, the uh, the weed economy, it's interesting that we're at this point, and they, you know, they were good good on them for sticking around long enough to capture this, is legalization and the things that we were thinking this would do and the effects that it has. Because while everybody says if we legalize it, it's going to push the black market out and it's going to be out in the open and whatnot, but they put so many regulations on what you know, white market marijuana has to be. It becomes very expensive, and the actual price of the commodity gets pushed down. And that just, in turn, increases the black market supply. I don't think they did a great job no, they didn't really, explaining that. They, they didn't. I think, they just kind of, I think you had to kind of like read it a little bit. There was one stat that I read later that I think would have made sense is that in, in California, they make 15... I don't know, million pound, fifteen million pounds of marijuana, but they only consume two and a half million pounds there, right? So there's this whole other big crop of marijuana that ends up, you know, it's being grown here, but it's these other states where they have a demand, right? You know, boom, 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 boom. You know, this so legalization is is pushing a wedge and making it harder, actually harder to go legit, putting more uh, pressure on maybe staying. In the black market. Now, see, I when, when I when I say I don't think they made a good a good argument for that, because basically, what we get a lot of is farmers telling their tales uh-huh. of woe. We're doing everything. We're using our life savings to try to make this business go against the big wigs. Which, by the way, were exactly the same as like the dairy farmer tale of woe. Like there is this marketplace that has now been opened, and big corporations are going to come in, and they're going to create these like super dairies and put like the mm-hmm. the little guy out of business. With a little tobacco farm. That's right. It was exactly like yeah. that. You have that one family with the woman and the kids, and you have like mm-hmm. the uh, guy with the awesome marketing who basically used every shot in the documentary as an opportunity to market his product. Which was, <laughs> I know that Toby liked that too. That, that guy was so. I went to that guy's website. I was like, I was like, those shirts are cool. And I went and checked out. They're like, we've had so much more <laughs> traffic than usual. The humble cure. <laughs> yeah, but I, you know, I thought it was really interesting that it seemed like they went through the whole capitalist agriculture cycle in like sixty years, where it started off as 
like subsistence farming with these hippies like growing mm-hmm. their crops and thinking marijuana is like one of their subsistence crops. Well, yeah, because they need it. And then, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's what they said. And then they realized <laughs> it can be a cash crop. So they move from subsistence farming to cash crop farming. And then eventually, you know, the government comes in and, and passes regulations and stuff that make it impossible to continue as like as you were saying like like the dairy farmers and stuff as an individual farmer so you know i think these guys just say we're we're going to you know the black market's the only way we're going to make money well i think that's that's fine but i think as soon as it becomes big weed or whatever the black market is going to kind of dry up right, right? cuz it's good you're going to get priced out totally. they're all really interesting characters but at the end you kind kind of wondering like are we supposed to be rooting for well, that's, them that's, that's, yeah, that's exactly. the thing there, there's the difference yeah. there yeah. because milk you look at the dairy industry milk is legal right yeah and also milk isn't a narcotic and and it's like and, and you do see and, and by the way I'm not judgy about people who smoke pot yeah. at all like I just make that clear yeah. I don't care um, but you do see a lot of scenes with like People having their kids, like working on the in the mm-hmm. marijuana fields and all this stuff, yeah. And, and it's like they have been breaking the law for so long, and now they want to go legal and they want to go white, and they're complaining about big pot. And I'm like, yeah, this is just what happened to the dairy farmers. But I, I kind of feel worse for the dairy farmers because it was like, you know what I mean? It's it was it's an interesting conundrum that the film puts you in on purpose. Right. I just don't think they made that connection about why legalization is bad super clearly, but. But wasn't the thought with legalization is like if you legalize it, you're going to push these yes. outlaws out? Yes. And isn't that what's, so? That's are we upset that that's actually happening? But let's, yeah. but let's talk about the the true crime part of it now. Okay. Because I do think that that is why most of our audience probably started watching this, and certainly why we started watching before we realized it was a whole other thing. Uh, the central story that is supposed to be the glue that ties this together is this uh, disappearance of Garrett Rodriguez and his, we learn about murder and the investigation around it and the private eyes and we meet his dad uh, down in Southern California sort of talking about him going missing and that story there. Was his the right crime around which to build this story? Because he's not the only murder we hear about in the documentary. Right. No, I, I I think it is one of the faults. I think also is that they kind of they kind of tease, especially these young women who disappear, and nobody like the cops just seem to try and ignore it as much as possible. But I do think the thing about Garrett's uh, murder is that it's both his murder and then the response, mm. like the community response, which I think is a good and interesting window on. That subculture. I mean, that's what I was kind of saying about how they kind of complement each other. It illustrates something about the way these people live in the way they responded to that murder. I, I, I didn't understand why his murder in particular they felt so strongly about. Mm. Now, Laura, we get this uh, story about, you know, this community, as, as Toby says, investigation into Garrett's murder. Mm-hmm. We hear about this gang, uh, the Alder Point Eight of quote unquote mm-hmm. outlaws. By the way, they use that word a lot in this Vigilantes, documentary. Yeah. We'll talk about that I in a minute. Yeah. Um, they basically drive up on Thanksgiving night, confront the quote alleged killer. And I use that word in mm-hmm. quotes because that's what they call him. Mm-hmm. And they allegedly get a confession from him and they do actually get pointed to Garrett's body. They find the body. But then they all seem very surprised that the police won't prosecute this case 
based on their <laughs> secondhand story of going and attacking this guy and shooting him and coercing his confession and finding the body. Were you surprised that authorities didn't seem to take their account as evidence in the way they seemed to be surprised that the authorities didn't seem to take their account as evidence? No. But the police in this this story, I, there was some funky stuff with the police. But, I mean, when you see what happened and how they got the information and how they got this confession and how they, you know, went and found this guy's body, that none of that is going to be at all even remotely admissible. Right. However, I was a little frustrated with the police in this story because I think there was a way that they could have worked around that and certainly gone and questioned this guy. And it didn't seem like, it was almost like they, they didn't even do any of the questioning or the follow-up on their own, which kind of frustrated me. Um, yeah. I was just like, what the fuck are they doing? <laughs> um, they, they didn't but, want I mean, anything I, to do with it. With murder no, Martin, it, it was like, I think they didn't want anything to do with any of it. I mean, it was like, and it was such a shit show when they finally went out and tried to bust one of the farmers and they hadn't even read that the people had a permit until they got there. Like, oh, well, you do have a permit. Have a nice day. I'm like, didn't you research that ahead of time? Yeah. No, they got the wrong property. Oh, you mean you mean hot hot cop? Yeah, hot cop. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't even hot cop. It was his assistant. I, I, they're both hot. Let's be real. It was yeah. the yeah. one good thing about the police in this. I actually kind of give the police a, a pass on like winding up on the wrong, wrong property because it's not like there's a mailbox that says one two three Pot Road. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, this one two four Pot Road. Sorry, you know. So at least they uh, they asked questions yeah, first they, before and they, they started were nice about it. But. Yeah. But I mean, what can you do? Yeah. I, I thought it was pretty clear. Like, so there's that one time, like towards the beginning when one of the police officers talks about when they were going up Murder Mountain and suddenly these guys on like four by fours were like surrounding them with shotguns yeah. and were like, and so, you know, after that, and then just seeing what else they did, I just kind of assumed that those guys want nothing to do with going into this like heavily armed place where, yeah. you know, people are very anti- Police and I, and I think more than you know, almost anywhere would be maybe prone to opening fire. So I think those guys were just constantly looking for excuses not to go. Right. And I'm not even sure if that one place they went to was actually on the mountain. <laughs> you know, I don't know if if that guy <laughs> was on the mountain or not. But I do. It seemed like every time anything came up with the cops having to do something in that area, they're like, well, you don't have any proof that they're there. It certainly seemed like that the documentarians let us believe that the cops weren't doing anything. Now, we don't really know that because a lot of it, 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 it I was frustrated through most of it because the cops were left silent on a lot of these these you know anecdotes and allegations we know that they talk to the cops cuz we see them but why yeah. but i don't i don't ever i don't remember anyone ever pressing any of the either the current sheriff or the and the, why why was there no arrest in this case yeah. why was well, there well no they're, yeah. they're, they're, at the, by the time they get to the last episode they do kind of explain you know in a way that we understand because we've been listening to these different podcasts and whatnot hey there's no you know that's hearsay. We can't that we can't use that alone or whatever. I hope you learned from a podcast, idea. Kevin. I hope you learned that from actually like yeah, understanding well, the law. The law. <laughs> uh, but they never, you know, there is an implication that the cops, as you say, don't want to go there and aren't responsive to stuff in that area. 
and it's never really posed to a cop if that's true. Right. Or, or you know, is it, you know, you didn't get there because of X, Y, or Z. Right. Do you have a reason why that? Because that's this is all their perception. They just let him and, hang you know, on a community member. Right. And so we just said that all these, we just yeah. said all these pot-growing narrators are, in a way, unreliable narrators. And they're all saying, and yeah, the cops didn't do anything. It's like, okay, that's fine. And maybe they didn't, but- you know, ask that question. Ask the ask the question of the right, cops, right. and at least give us that. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to the people in the community. All the farmers say they want to cooperate. Yeah. they say they understand that the only way the police are going to be able to be effective is if they cooperate, and we're willing to do that. And you're right; they don't ask that question. That was a, a huge missing piece to yeah. me. I mean, we see the same thing in these ones, like in in an urban area. The police, oh, the police don't want to work in this neighborhood, but nobody you know, wants to cooperate. But nobody wants to cooperate. Yeah, but I mean, in this there's neighborhood, they seem to want to cooperate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. So, Laura, we have the presence of some. Folks, that I wonder if you related to. We've got some private dicks. I know in this documentary. What'd you think about the private detectives? I kind of liked them. Um, it was really they were interesting. Um, I, I was actually I should go look up because I was curious because I thought the the guy was like the head guy, but it said he worked for an agency. So I was like, ooh, this is interesting. You mean the carpenter private dick? Yeah, he was interesting. And then the woman, I have to say, she had some. Uh, she had some balls. She had some bricker. And when she went out and questioned that guy um, who was allegedly involved, and then she got back in her car and she was like, cool as a cucumber. I was like, wow, good for her. <laughs> <laughs> wow. When she's like, yeah, I know you were there. I know. And I was like, whew. So, and it was, you know, they were clearly invested in the case. And it sounds like with all the missing people, they uh, have some job security where they live. That's true. Um, you know. Kevin, how do you feel about the way the documentary handled the non-naming of the alleged killer's name it was very ham-fisted. Would you agree? Uh, no, I mean I think it was they did what they could do under the circumstances. Right, you couldn't name him and not be accused of being libelous. Right, they could have just like said, "Yeah, Bob," and just beeped Bob's name out right. every time they talked about. But they obviously told it. And it all was, the subjects right. not to say. Yeah, it. and yeah. so I, well, I will give you that. Sometimes in the conversations, when like, well, the alleged. When to, you know, when it's, you know, you, you just tell the producers, like, uh, okay, so uh, when you talk about uh, Big Dirty Larry, <laughs> you can't call him Big Dirty Larry. Just remember, it's it's the alleged killer. You can just call him alleged. Wouldn't okay? it be terrible luck if his name really yeah. was Big Dirty Big Larry? Big Dirty Larry. <laughs> the nicknames, the nicknames of all these characters in the show were incredible. It was like, it was like red-haired Bob or <laughs> something. Yeah, red-haired Bob. <laughs> The lion, well, lion, of course. The Dookie Brothers. Can can we talk about um, the guy that I call Pothead Yosemite Sam because he's like my favorite. Who, John John Riley? John Riley. Yeah, I call him Pothead Yosemite Sam. He's incredible. (laughs) Yeah. This is John Riley. He's favorite character. He's basically one of the main characters of the film. He's a Vietnam vet, uh, former hippie who lives up in the hills. I don't, do they say he's a farmer? I'm not sure because I kept wondering, like, how is he making a living up there? I think they're all farmers. Um, and he basically takes it upon himself to be like the lead investigator uh, out of happenstance because the guys are driving by his house into Garrett's murder and becomes sort of the spokesperson on behalf of those looking to bring justice to this family. And then in the climax uh, of the whole documentary, the emotional climax in the final episode, we see him meet Garrett's dad and talk about being willing to come forward and testify in court if the day ever comes and the closure that uh, they both had and then both uh, being Vietnam era vets. I started thinking about fatherhood oh. and how you must feel not knowing. <laughs> Trying to place myself in your mindset and just the turmoil that I know that I wouldn't be able to handle personally. I have great respect for you to have 
to have persevered, which you have. Toby, what did you think about John and his character? How do you think he fit into this? Was he kind of the emotional center for you, or is that just me? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's definitely what they wanted him to be. Yeah, he's just another sort of interesting character in that he seemed, you know, sort of physically neighbors with those people, and they all knew each other and stuff, and I, I don't think they had any animosity towards him. But he didn't seem as if he personally was part of that sort of like, quote-unquote, outlaw group. He seemed more like, a, I want to live my life by myself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whereas his son certainly did seem like he was part of that group. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> so I thought, you know, it was just another, he's clearly damaged and he clearly, you know, was working through some stuff by helping with the whole Garrett case. But it's also just like, I could see where some of those guys might be pissed off at him because he's always like, you know, it's it's uh, the Alder Point Seven. You know, I wasn't really a part of it. Like, I just, like, I didn't shoot her pistol weapon. I just went up and asked him and then, like, dragged him to this, you know, site. It's That's like, not what all the graffiti oh, on, says. Man. You know, in for a dime, in for a dollar. But anyway, yeah, I mean, he was, I, I thought he was, I, I thought the whole thing, I, uh, there was probably, like, 15 people in it who I thought were were super compelling and interesting. And you have a pretty clearly defined uh, idea about, you know, what they're like. I have a question for you guys that I kept thinking about because the word outlaw does get dropped a whole lot in this documentary. The subjects in the documentary seem pretty sure that there's a big difference between what makes an outlaw and what makes a criminal. And then we hear one of the main characters in the documentary explain what he thinks that difference is. The difference between an outlaw and a criminal is I'm not purposely going out to break laws. I just don't accept certain laws that... I don't think are just. Does that sound awful like a criminal to you guys, or is it just me? <laughs> I, potato, potato. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just splitting hairs. Laura, what do you think? Uh, well, you know, they have a cause. Um, <laughs> I, I can get behind that um, because it's like, you know what? They have their own system. They know what they think is right, and that's the way it's going to be. I agree with the law. I just choose not to follow it. <laughs> well, because like, well, they had like their own code. Like They had their own code, and clearly they were like, this is, yeah, you know, like, hey, this is wrong that they killed this like idealistic young surfer guy and here's his poor dad looking for him and everybody knew that something went down and the cops aren't going to figure it out because they don't go up on Murder Mountain unless they absolutely have to. And they were like, hey, you know, it was I, I, I kind of appreciated it. It's S-Town, right? Yeah. It was like S-Town crossed on Ozark, <laughs> yeah. crossed on like... I don't even know. It was just a like Costa crazy. Rican fever dream. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I think, it was just crazy. But I think the whole outlaw, the whole outlaw thing. What I thought it was that it was really kind of anchored by this idea that they don't believe that marijuana should be or or should have been illegal, and that not only that, but that the government was taking these insane, like really insane steps to try to eradicate them, often just using it for themselves. Right. And there became dealers and stuff, obviously. But then that seems to me to be like why they think it's more of an outlaw thing. It's like, you know, our government's telling us that that marijuana is bad and it's illegal and I don't accept that. So I carry on my commerce and my life in a, in a way that doesn't accept that aspect 
of the law and the fact that the law is the state is so intent upon like keeping me from doing this that they're like dropping out of helicopters and burning huge grows and stuff like this. Like that to me was more sort of what they were talking about and where there'd be like criminals are like people who are shoplifting or breaking into houses or, you know, parts of gangs or, you know, whatever. But we're just actually, we, there's like a lifestyle that we think is legitimate that the state for reasons that we don't quite get doesn't think is legitimate. And that makes us outlaws. Yes. I mean, but that was my take. Toby, they are also running around with guns and some of them are shooting other people and they are also doing a bunch of other <laughs> criminal shit that, aside right, from but I, I think the, and smoking marijuana. But I think even those guys, but that was kind of where they drew the line, right? Is that in a weird way, it was, you know, we have guns and stuff because, you know, we've always had to kind of protect our own because the, the law, you couldn't call the you couldn't call the cops, right? Because the cops would show up, they'd be like, "Oh shit, look at all this weed. We've got to get rid of it." So let's get the wood chipper out. So it's always been it's always been this sort of we have to do our own security, and so that of course you know with all this money at stake it leads to a certain amount of violence. But then it was sort of this wanton killing, this sort of unnecessary murder that for whatever reason this particular one. That was like, that's not cool. That's not the outlaw lifestyle. That is right. this psycho coming up here and killing somebody. Right. Um, Which triggered a bunch of other killings. I'm not trying to stick up for them. Right. Like, I don't I don't necessarily think you have to go from thinking we should be legalized to we all have to be heavily armed. And But I kind of thought that that was where they were coming from rather than, you know, I don't go out and intentionally, you know, commit crime. So I'm not a criminal. Right. Well, it's all semantics, right? I mean, like, the, what was the one uh, The one woman interviewed said, like, this shouldn't be called Murder Mountain, it should be called Widow Mountain. And I'm like, oh, semantics, you know? I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's both. It's both, actually. All right, well, let, let's do what we do. Let's go around the horn, and I want to get your thumbs up or thumbs down reviews of Murder Mountain. This is a six-part documentary streaming on Netflix right now. Laura Bricker, thumbs up or thumbs down? Should our listeners check out Murder Mountain on Netflix? I'm going to give like two enthusiastic thumbs up because it seems like after a while, a lot of the true crime documentaries and podcasts all are following like a familiar storyline and the cases are not unique and it's kind of the same old, same old, um, even if it's told differently. This was so fascinating. I just loved all of it. I loved all this window into this whole subculture. Like Toby, I love subcultures. The case was interesting. They had access to a lot of the people that were involved. Um, just super interesting. Like, so interesting, I may even watch it again. Hmm. What about you, Toby? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Murder Mountain on Netflix? Yeah, I'll give it a thumbs up, too. I, I really liked it. The one thing to keep in mind, and we, we've talked about this, like, if you watch it, is it's not just going to be a traditional true crime thing. Like, you have to be there for the culture and the history and, and all this other stuff, too. Like, Laura, I, you know, I can see myself watching it again sometime. Yeah, I'm going to give it a thumbs up. Not quite as enthusiastic as the two of you. I thought it was super interesting and a, a really fascinating topic and a deep dive into that topic. My one criticism of Murder Mountain is that 
to me, and Kevin, this is something we commented on a few times you're watching it, this wasn't produced to be a streaming binged show. Uh, there were clear points where there were supposed to be like commercial breaks. You'd see sort of like breaks during the show. And then the beginning of each episode was basically like a recap of the previous one that you had just watched. So there was some repetition that I thought was not necessary. I think that this was probably originally edited together to be a network TV Infusion show. Infusion was the... Yeah. And, right, that, and yeah. then it was, you know procured by Netflix and not re-edited for that kind of viewer. And that's my one criticism because I do think some of our listeners might watch this and think this is slow or this is repetitive or this is something. And I think that just comes from the way that it was edited versus the way you can consume it on Netflix. So that is my criticism of it. Other than that, though, I found myself really enjoying it. I thought the characters were fascinating. It really was very much like a documentary about a real-life S-Town type place. And I love that kind of story. It's a, a, a view into a world that I otherwise wouldn't see. So thumbs up for me. Kevin, what about you? I'm a thumbs up as well. I think that it was a a good mix of the two different stories here, the story of uh, Garrett's disappearance and the whole sort of cultural background of the setting. And this is one of those uh, documentaries where setting and place are so prevalent and are, are such a character yeah. in the story and the way we uh, we feel about the documentary. So I, I thought it was a really interesting look and, and super timely because it seems like they were still shooting film up until September. Yes, yeah, fall. Yeah. <clears throat> so yeah, it's uh, I guess you'd say it's it's hot off of the uh, the avid uh, and uh, in in your streaming. Uh, box there so yeah so uh, thumbs up uh, I think it's a uh, I guess you'd say a, a sober-eyed look at the issue of marijuana legalization and crime surrounding it and uh, you know if you want to have sober eyes you probably should think about simple contacts oh geez okay <laughs> because you don't want your eyes all red and bloodshot That's right. right you know you want to look good and prepared when you go to work or go out on the town and you don't want to wear your glasses, you want to wear your contacts, how do you get them? How do you get your contacts? Simple contacts. I get mine from Simple Contacts. I love it. Yeah, they allow you to conveniently renew your contact lens prescription and reorder your contacts from anywhere in minutes. Now, you can take the self-guided uh, vision test. Uh, it takes less than five minutes. i got to remember, it isn't a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. That's right. Don't burn your doctor's card. Nope. You'll still go see him or her. Very important. But there's that second test you take if you want to also have contact contacts. lens renewal. It's perfect. You all know if you wear contacts, you know, when you run out, like you're screwed. You're totally screwed. And you're like, oh, I got to go. And like you with mine, especially I got the, like the multifocal contacts. You've like order them. And what was they, the weird thing that happened with your prescription just this past month? One of my eyes changed just a little. So I had to order like a whole bunch of contacts just for my right eye. And it was a whole thing until I uploaded the prescription to Simple Contacts, and then they just sent them to me, and it was not a whole thing anymore. It's fantastic. Right. And do they have your brand? They're at my house in two days. Way faster than my eye doctor could order and get them in for me. Yeah. All brands, all types of lenses that you're familiar with. You never have to shop around to find your lens at the best price. Remember that vision test that you can take the app? It's, it's only $20, and their contact lens prices are unbeatable. Standard shipping is free. Use so your you FSA card. <laughs> that time of year. You're too late. <laughs> no, it's not. It rolls over usually for a couple of months. Oh, okay, good. Use your FSA card. <laughs> now you can get $20 off your contacts 
at simplecontacts.com slash CWO20. Or you enter the code CWO20 at checkout. That's simplecontacts.com, CWO20, or enter code CWO20 at checkout to get $20 off your contacts. What else you got, Kevin? Rebecca, what if your worst nightmare was real? Uh, what Breaking if your life. <laughs> <laughs> In Mind's Eye, the first fiction podcast from the Parcast Network, homicide detective Kate McClay is plagued by nightmares. So she also enlists her radio journalist husband to get to the bottom of her horrifying dreams. This sounds like us. It does. It sounds like we really do could do this. Do you think that that husband bought that wife a card to give him for their anniversary? Oh, Come off of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's my worst nightmare. Yeah, in a search to end her nightmares, Kate fights against psychology, science, and her own family, and even a serial killer. Ooh. The scariest monsters are those hiding inside our own minds. They are? Mind's Eye is perfect for listeners of Crime Writers On, True Crime Podcast, mystery novels, and audio dramas like Limetown and Homecoming. Brought to you by Parcast, the storytelling team behind hit shows like Serial Killers, Cults, and Unsolved Murders, True, true Crime Stories. This six-episode psychological thriller is available now. New episodes coming out on Mondays. Listen today by searching and subscribing to Mind's Eye wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Mind's Eye, M-I-N-D, S E Y E, Or visit parcast.com slash Mind's Eye to start listening now. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com slash Mind's Eye to listen now. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the Crime, Crime of, of the, the Week. week. <laughs> Not all was calm and bright. At one particular home in London, Kentucky, 21-year-old David Brannon was arrested after getting into a fight over what day Christmas dinner should be served. Police said Brannon threw the Christmas ham for said dinner at his sister and all the trimmings ended up on the floor. It's not known what position exactly Brennan held on the question of what day Christmas dinner should be served on, but the correct answer is, duh, Christmas. <laughs> Jeez, like who is debating that? All right, panel, this food fight was not in the Yuletide spirit. What other way could the Brannons have settled their family dispute? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Well, I have a lot of questions for them, but I, I'm going to go with um, a tug-of-war game. Um, <laughs> you know, everybody for Christmas Day on one side, everybody for not Christmas Day on the other. <laughs> so, like, one person against 50? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then the right answer wins. Christmas so, Day, yeah. you mean, wins? Yeah. <laughs> Christmas Day wins. All right, Toya Ball, what other way do you think the Brennans could have settled this family dispute? You know, I think they should have gotten some of that fine Humboldt bud <laughs> smoked up and just chilled the fuck out. <laughs> I think we know what the balls would have done to settle their dispute. Kevin Flynn, what about you? What do you think the Brennans could have done to settle this Yuletide dispute? Oh, yeah. Candy cane pistols at dawn. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap it up for the week, Laura Bricker, do we have a cat of the week this week? We have two cats of the week this week, and they are tied to my New Year's resolution. So Chelsea submitted her cats, Hazel and Ducky. Lovely pictures of them. They are both big, long-haired cats. Part of my New Year's resolution was to banish the cat hair from my house. Um, Chelsea wins because um, she's going to need more than plastic covers to protect her clothes from Hazel and Ducky. 
Wow. Um, happy New Year, Chelsea. Happy New Year, Chelsea, <laughs> indeed. All right, Laura Berger, we want to reach out to you online and submit their cats or, shall I suggest, dogs or other kinds yes. of animals to be cat of yes. the week. How can they find you on Twitter? At Laura Bricker. And Toby Ball, people want to reach out to you and reminisce over how you guys in an alternate universe could have started a farm together on Murder Mountain in Humboldt <laughs> County. How can they find you on Twitter? I'm always at Toby Ball NH. And Kevin Flynn, people want to reach out to you and berate you for buying me for our anniversary a card for yourself signed from me by you. How can they find you on Twitter? Uh, I am doing that stuff at Kevin P. Flynn. <laughs> and if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On. And I encourage you to join the amazing community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page, by the way. Go to our website and sign up for our newsletter. I promise Kevin Flynn will be sending out a new one this week. Support the show on patreon.com slash partners in crime media and you will get access to the balls Deep Dive Book Club podcast and Laura Bricker's Rage Walking True Crime Fitness Fun Group. Our theme song was performed by the New York Ska Jazz Ensemble and used with permission. This show was recorded in the yoga loft above the bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our basement where we keep the wayward hitchhikers we've hired to trim all of our bud. On behalf of all the crime writers, thanks so much for listening. We will catch you later. <laughs> Let's do a little levels check. Laura Bricker, you know what I'm going to ask you? What did you have for breakfast uh, this morning? I had one of those fucking nasty-ass kale banana donut things that I tried to make. Uh, um, uh, Toby, yeah. what did you have for breakfast this morning? I had uh, grape nuts and orange juice and coffee. Mm, sounds about par for the course. Kevin? <laughs> That's absolutely. I, I had a croissant. <laughs> it was flaky. <laughs> that sounds Flaky really good. Croissant. Levels sound good. They sound right. good? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>